Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. How's it going? And welcome to episode 88 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hastings Kevin. And Kevin, we were just talking about right before I hit the record button. I've finished one draft. We finished our listener league draft. We are almost completed with our first gladiator draft, which has been a ton of fun so far. I am interested in joining now that I've done a slow version. I am thinking about joining one of the fast, fastest finger ones uh, with the one minute clocks. So we'll see if one of those times works out for me. But I'm also a little less than halfway through my first DC as well. So it is, we are in the heart of draft season in, in at Thanksgiving break. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here we are. Thanksgiving Eve, as we record, which is coming out Thanksgiving morning. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And yeah, similarly, I participated in the On The Wire Listener League draft that has completed that you mentioned. I started a draft champions draft in Arizona. We did the first 23 rounds. We'll pick that up in January, but I'm jumping in draft champions on Friday, on Black Friday. And then we got the gladiator that you said, I agree a hundred percent. This has been a lot of fun and it's getting a lot of great publicity. Everybody seems to love these. And even people that haven't participated yet are ready to jump in. There's a lot of talk about these gladiator drafts that the NFBC is putting on and they are a lot of fun. And I agree. I am now that I have tried the format. I think I would like to jump in one of the live formats. It's baseball forecaster pdf day for those oh, geez, that celebrate. Yes. Oh, i forget <laughs> there's just there's so much baseball going on at the end of november drafts new projections coming out this is absolutely amazing i posted on twitter that i told my wife i have a lot of work to do today <laughs> as the forecaster came out i'll be diving into that throughout the day under the guise that i'm working of course. No, we're, we're recording this podcast. That's work as far as I'm concerned as well. Absolutely. You got to like what you do when you actually work. And so more power to us, right? And you said it yourself, there's so much baseball going on. If you want it, if you want to be immersed in baseball, it's, it's available regardless of what maybe your average consumer of sports might think. Plenty of baseball information to go around at Thanksgiving, at the Thanksgiving break. So if you find yourself at, at the Thanksgiving table and you're in the middle of a conversation that you just don't want to be a part of, just bring up baseball. Yeah. More than likely, it's something everybody can get around and you've got plenty of information that you can soak in and then regurgitate out over, over turkey stuffing and what have you. Absolutely. And I forgot to bring up off-season trading, Keeper and Dynasty Leagues. Uh, I'm working on a trade in the Highlander Dynasty League as we speak. I also, the Couch Potato Fantasy Baseball League from Abilene, Texas. We're opening trading either tonight or tomorrow morning. I'm not sure which one. Opening our off-season trading just for the holiday weekend for those of us that aren't going to pay much attention to football or <laughs> just itching to dive in. Yeah, we heard, I heard Chad and Pete talking on the keeper cut, the new trade season arbitration just ended a little while ago. And so the trade blocks have all been updated and a lot of activity there to be had as well. My, my home dynasty league, the ACC, not as active as I would like to see it in the off season. I've been negotiating a trade with somebody for seven weeks. <laughs> Technically <laughs> trade season starts as soon as the major league baseball season ends and you can trade all the way up until our deadline in August. But it's very rare that we see a trade actually happen in the off season. Almost like I would say 90% of all of our trades in that league go down in the last week of July. 
<laughs> Ours, we'll, we'll have a whole bunch go through right as trading opens, and then it will slack off until spring training again. Very few things will pop up in December and January. It's tough because it's a tw- mine is a 12-team league. It's head-to-head, and no matter where you are or where you ended last season, everybody feels as though they can compete. Mm-hmm. because everybody's got an O and O record, right? Everybody thinks they can compete. So it's no one's a buyer. No one's a seller at this time of year. And it's not until for sure you're completely out of the playoff race where you're willing to give up even like Adam Wainwright or, or like somebody like that. And then you can give them away for pretty much nothing. But right now, Adam Wainwright is useful no matter how bad you were last year. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the keeper leagues with limited number of keepers will be more active than dynasty leagues because if you have a surplus you want to start shopping them right now before the teams that need them make other deals yep or more players come through the woodworks as people are doing more deep dives and finding i'm like you know what i can wait i can probably grab this guy later on and get as much yeah you feel differently about players as you move throughout the off season. All right, we got, we, we're talking about trades. We're talking about signings. We got at least one, if not two things to go over here before we get into the main focus of the episode, which is going to be talking about some of these free agent pitchers and where they're going to go and how we rank them based on the fact that they don't have a home yet. Before we do that though, Kevin, I got one be- decently big trade that happened overnight. So I'm glad to be able to talk about it. First thing here today on Wednesday, as we're recording this, Hunter Renfro finds himself with his fifth team in the last five years being traded from Milwaukee to the Angels for literally some junk. And I had to just get the low-hanging fruit joke out of the way. He was traded for Jansen Junk, who, if you don't remember, was traded by the Yankees to the Angels for Andrew Heaney a couple of years ago. Also right-handed pitcher Elvis Pegaro. And minor league pitcher, left-handed pitcher, Adam Seminaris. Literally, from just by looking at it, names that I don't recognize except for Junk because I saw him being traded for Andrew Heaney a couple years ago. Hunter Renfro literally seems as though this is a nice, it's a one-year salary dump by the Brewers, possibly to create more openings in their outfield. But let's look at this from both sides. Let's start with the Angels and his Renfro's impact on the Angels besides being a body double for Mike Trout, what does he offer in this new situation? Home run power and go into a nice ballpark for it. He backed up the 2021 where he put up 31 home runs in 144 games by putting up 29 in 125 games for Milwaukee. And I think he'll fit nicely into the Angels lineup. The most interesting thing about me for the Angels is two things. One, I The Angels must not be very confident in Joe Adele. I hate to use the phrase giving up, but they may be getting close or at least think that he needs some more long-term development in the minor leagues. And also the same thing that keeps coming up every time they add an offensive player, Jared Walsh. What does this mean about how we don't know a lot about theoretic outlet syndrome surgery for offensive players? And I think this shows us the Angels may have some serious concerns about his availability. But I love Renfro sliding into this lineup. Looks like probably the sixth spot, the lower end of the middle third of the order, as long as Rendon is healthy. If we see Rendon miss time, as we have over the past few seasons, Renfro would probably move up to that five spot right in the middle of the order. I love the move. I love the move for Renfro. It really concerns me about Jared Walsh and even Joe Adele in some deeper and dynasty leagues. Yeah. Look at roster resource. They don't even have Joe Adele on the active roster after this move. So we're looking at Hunter Renfro playing right field, batting sixth in that lineup. Anthony Rendon, as long as he's actually able to stand batting right behind him in the five spot, Jared Walsh playing first base right after Renfro. So Renfro is surrounded by injury of concerns in that lineup based on what Jason's put over on. Uh, as of right now, of course, we're talking about Thanksgiving break, <laughs> November roster construction. Yeah, Lots of this, things can change. This is interesting, right? The Angels, they're all of a sudden pretty interesting here with some of these additions. In spite of the limitations we talked about with Gio Urshela last week, if he is indeed 
slated as the shortstop, the limitations to his defense there, that they have a pretty nice offensive lineup now, not just Trout and Otani and Taylor Ward up at the top and the pitching staff they put together. I think I, I saw a tweet a couple of weeks ago, so it's been a while. I apologize for not getting credit here, but each of these five guys slated uh, for their starting rotation in the second half had an ERA under three in, in 2022. So all of a sudden, the, the Angels are looking interesting, uh, and we'll see. Uh, they may not be done yet either. It is interesting to see like the moves that they made already. And they've already been pretty active in the early goings here, trading for Gio Urshela, trading for Hunter Renfro. Because of all of the injury concerns that you talked about with Rendon and with Walsh, they've got guys that can move around. Like we Right now, I think a lot of us expect Gio Urshela to be the starting shortstop regardless of what we feel his his ability to play shortstop on a regular basis may or may not be. But the idea that Urshela can very easily move over to third if Rendon has to move over to first base to spell Jared Walsh with Hunter Renfro go, jumping into the outfield and being able to move in Luis Rungifo, being able to play multiple positions as well. They do seem as though they are more flexible than they once were, at least when it comes to filling in these gaps that we're starting to see due to injury, due to inability, or not living up to expectations. Mickey Moniak moves to the bench here. And I'd be pretty, a lot of people are suggesting it, but I'd be surprised if Joe Adele is in the minors to start the season. It's a get off the pot type of situation at this point with him. And they don't have anything to gain by keeping him down longer. They almost got to either admit that this is a platoon situation, this is a bench role, or find somebody willing to take a chance on a more regular time and make another trade to maneuver the rest of their the rest of their roster. All right, let's talk about the other side then, Kevin. Like we Renfro, like I said, fifth team, five years. Most recently, Red Sox, uh, Milwaukee, L.A. He's had the pleasure of batting in some very positive or hitter-friendly ballparks, as you talked about. He's taking advantage of that. But he leaves a hole in Milwaukee. How do you see Milwaukee filling that either that power gap or just the spot on the roster in general? Is there a move to be made, or are we just happy to see more playing time for some of the guys coming up? I think we're going to... I think we're going to see, at least early in the season, we're going to see Garrett Mitchell. We're going to see Esturi Ruiz in there. And I think this three or four weeks ago, Scott Chu. Oh, no, it wasn't Scott. It was it was Schwebe. Excuse me, Schwebsy that was here and talked about all the young Milwaukee outfielders. He, 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 he grouped them together. One of them is probably going to break out this season, I think, or at least get a, an opportunity. And I think that's coming to fruition. It was a great call by him. There's going to be, that was even, he was calling that out with Renfro still on the roster right now. Tyrone Taylor, is he going to get a little more run to see what he can do with consistent at bats here? And uh, I think that's what we're looking at. I think early we're going to, we're going to see a, quite a bit of playing time for all of these guys. And they're going to try to let it work itself out and see who's going to, join Christian Yelich out, out in the outfield here. Yeah, Yelich, even health aside, pr probably the only one that's guaranteed anything close to everyday role, regardless of Renfro leaving or not. Yeah, Chris did a great job of kind of calling that out. He did do that before the Brewers added John Singleton to the protected roster. And Sean Roberts talked about that a little bit, a little surprising to see the Brewers do that. It was a sign that they were there was another move to be made. And here's that hence Renfro being shipped off elsewhere. So I'll be curious to see the role Singleton forces himself into if he ends up being on that active roster come April and what role more than likely it is a DH role or spelling time at first base as well. Maybe doesn't really affect the outfield as much, but it does take up that DH opportunity for those extra at-bats. Yeah, I can totally see the Brewers not making another move and just going with what they got. We've been talking about a lot of these players for a couple of years now between Tyrone Taylor getting more playing time. We like they traded for Estre Ruiz last year from San Diego in the Josh Hader deal. And so you have to assume that is going to be a player they're going to want to get as much eyes on as possible to make sure that they feel as though they got the most the most bang for their buck in that trade because he didn't really play a whole lot toward the end of last season, there wasn't really a lot of room for him. And now 
he'd be an interesting uh, guy to see, especially how he how they utilize him in spring training. Yeah, and there's been some talk since this Renfro trade was announced that this may be part of a salary dump and Colton Wong may be next. And that could be opening up another spot. Maybe Keston Hira gets run at second base again. Going to be interesting to see what moves Milwaukee may or may not make. That may be their last trade, but there, there may be some more guys on the move possibly if indeed salary was a consideration here, as it usually is. Of course. That's a, it's an interesting situation to keep in mind, to keep an eye on as we move through the offseason. Another situation that just developed earlier in the week, Miami had DFA'd Luan Diaz, their once heralded, I guess, first base prospect. And he got picked up by the Pittsburgh Pirates in a small trade there. So he is added to the Pirates roster. And he's going to be probably competing with Chiman Choi for first base DH opportunities there. They're both the same handedness there. So what's your take here? Is Luan Diaz actually, is this, has he gone to a situation that he can take advantage of? Or is this still somebody that strikes out way too much and doesn't hit the, it hits the ball really hard, but doesn't actually hit it over the fence? Yeah, I think a lot has to happen and, and go Diaz's way for him to see much playing time uh, as the team is rostered right now, even with it being the Pirates. You mentioned G-Man Choi, Miguel Andahar slotted in at designated hitter at the moment. So I don't see a spot for Diaz. He is really going to have to play his way into something here and it would be pretty difficult to see it happen and it I wouldn't expect him to be in the top half of the lineup regardless of what happens even if something would happen with a, an injury for G-Man Choi I don't think Diaz is going to slide into the cleanup spot I think they would move guys around and he's going to be near the bottom of the order and while I think in fantasy baseball there can be a lot of value in guys near the top of the lineup on bad teams. I'm less inclined to take the hit with the bottom of a lineup for the guys that are on bad teams. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Kevin, because we didn't talk, we didn't put this in here, but you're talking about taking chances on players on bad teams. We're, we already got the Pirates roster open on our screen, so let's just stick with the Pirates. Tell me anybody... Anybody from spots four down. So we're taking out O'Neill Cruz, we're taking out Brian Reynolds, and we're taking out Cabrian Hayes, who are comfortably going in every draft that you could possibly go in right now. Who is worth, who are you looking at that has the most intrigue here on this roster? And I'll throw out some names so our listeners can get an idea of who we're considering here. Between G-Man Choi and Lewin Diaz, we have Rodolfo, Rodolfo Castro penciled in as their second baseman, uh, Jack Sawinski in left field, Andujar, who you mentioned as their starting DH, Cal Mitchell in right field, and then Andy Rodriguez as their starting catcher as of right now. Do you trust any of these guys to draft them in a situation where they would actually be starting, whether it's in a corner position, middle infield position, utility, doesn't matter, but not on your bench? I think Rodolfo Castro is the one here that I'm most interested in. If he can bring that strikeout rate down just a bit, and he actually dropped it slightly at the major league level in 278 plate appearances, as opposed to what he had done with a little over 300 plate appearances at AAA in 2022. He was down to 26.6% at the major league level. I really like to see guys get that under 25. That He was close to an 8% walk rate. That's pretty nice. Gave him real close to 300 on base percentage with 299 as opposed to his 233 batting average. So if he can bring that strikeout rate down just a bit more, the 11 home runs and five stolen bases in 71 games is pretty intriguing where we're looking at a 2010 guy. If you prorate that, I know we can't just prorate that. (laughs) I Uh, want to though. I want to. to. (laughs) And Steamer almost does, right? Steamer 113 games which is only about a time and a half Hmm. the number of games played. They're giving him 19 home runs and seven stolen bases, 24.8% strikeout rate. That's what I want to see. They're bringing him down a couple more percentage points, getting him under that 25%. 
they are leaving him at very similar slash lines to what he had in 2022, even with that slight drop in strikeout rate. But that gets him there for our counting stats. And he needs to be in that top half or so of the lineup so that the RBIs and runs are there and we're not taking too much of a hit due to it being the Pirates. Yeah, I'm really glad that's I set you up so that I crossed my fingers you were going to talk about Castro of all these guys. I was afraid you might go with Sawinski just because he put up the 19 home runs last year. So there's some intrigue there as far as the power categories, if the Pirates actually allow him to play every day, which Jason over at Ross Resource doesn't think that to be the case at the moment. But Castro, I've got lined up in my queue in my in the Gladiator League. I don't mind talking about it with you because you've already filled up all the positions that he'd be eligible for. Now, that's the beauty of these Gladiator Leagues, is especially when he gets to the end of the draft you can see where everybody else is as oh all right he doesn't have have to go and he only has an outfielder he can only draft an outfielder because you have to have a legal lineup throughout and it doesn't matter if you think they're going to get outfield eligibility come april or may because you have to be able to start a legal lineup on the first day of the season so it's an interesting strategy there so rodolfo is definitely on my short list to fill my middle infield slot it is nice in general to see that he has the second base third base eligibility as well the bill to it makes him a really intriguing pick in a draft champions even if he is on your bench to be able to put into five different positions throughout the course of the season with injuries and what have you as well so somebody yeah. i will be targeting in that format for sure Yeah, I think the playing time will definitely be there for him. And I think he'll be at fifth or higher. Roster Resource has him fifth now in the lineup. I think that's as low as he would go. I think they could put Sawinski ahead of him. But I think he's going to be near the top. Makes him very intriguing in draft champions, as you mentioned. And if I'm not mistaken, he was drafted in our On The Wire Listener League. So 30 rounds, 12 teams, Fab League. That's an interesting spot as well. As things come along throughout the offseason, you have somebody you could be pretty comfortable with at your middle. And if something else comes up that's better, it wouldn't hurt you too much to let him go even before the season starts. So I think it's a good choice in that situation as well. Yeah, I drafted him. Bless <laughs> you. Oh, nice. Yeah, he is my starting middle infield in in that team as well. Again, I, maybe I'm a little biased because I've already has some exposure to him, and I'm looking to get a little bit more. And in this DC, I'm still far enough away from where he would need to be picked. So I, he could be a three for three player. I've gone three drafts. I have. There is one player that I already have. 100% exposure to in all three drafts. Can you guess who that is? The only hint I'll give you, it is not a late round pick because I have not gone past round 17 in this DC yet. Uh, I saw you tweet about this, I believe, and I forget who it was. So it's not even cheating. I should know this because I it, saw it's it. It's very rare to see this happen, I think. And so my Is top, it a catcher? No, it's a my draft top drafted player so far is Mookie Betts in the first round and it's just because I've either had the eighth or ninth pick in all three of these drafts and he just sits there and I'm like all right I guess I'm heavily invested in how Mookie Betts does going into the 2023 season I'm in the same spot I've been for slow drafts I purposely set my KDS from the middle out because I like to typically have a cue ready to go and go on auto a few picks before my turn each round. And that's harder to do when you're on the ends, not knowing who you're going to get to have the next one on auto as well. So I've been working from the inside out and other than Britton Allen snagging him from me at the draft I did in Arizona, I've been snagging Bo Bichette there in the middle of the first. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Two drafts I've done with you so far. Bo Bichette has gone off the board there. I just feel like it is rare to see like, when you talk about overexposure of players, it's usually the guys toward the end. Of, hey, I'm reaching for somebody in the 20th round more often than not than everybody else or what have you. And in the first couple of rounds of a draft, of course, you want to be able to diversify a little bit more in case something happens, something terrible yeah. happens to any one of those players. So I've live or die by Mookie Betts. We have to do a lot more drafts so that we get yeah. that diversification. <laughs> <I need stability. laughs> like, it's not a choice. We have to do a lot more drafts so that we get diversified. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> 
All right, that's, I think those are some decent trades that we talked about and they have some implications for their teams, both the teams that they're leaving and the teams that they are joining. So let's get into the crux of the episode as we talk about the free agent pitching market. We talked about some hitters with Sean Roberts last week. We have a very special guest joining us to talk about the free agent pitchers as well. And we'll get to that right after this quick break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back, and you are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined, as always, by Kevin Hasting. And now that we're back from the break, we're lucky enough to have with us a very special guest, Paul Spore, editor and contributor over at Rotographs, as well as a longstanding co-host of Sleeper and the Bus podcast. Paul can also be found streaming regularly on the Twitch, where he's been playing a whole bunch of out-of-the-park baseball seasons. Some really interesting ones that I've seen you post on, Paul, especially the basically switching players on different teams, the MVPs and stuff like that. We're going to talk to Paul about his early starting pitching rankings and where some of the free agent names land on it currently and how their signings can sway their value. But before we get into that, Paul, thanks for taking the time to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate that intro. Yeah, you have a new role. Can you? I didn't put this on the rundown, but I'm curious about it. You have a new role with Out of the Park, if I'm not mistaken. What are you doing with them? I am the content director for their game called Perfect Team, which is a card collecting mode where you build your team through with cards across the mm-hmm. baseball landscape. Build the best team you can, and I'm going to be helping really direct that content. They've got a great team in place there, so I'm coming in and, and helping out. I'm not building it from sure. the ground up or anything like that, but it's a cool title, content designer for that, and I'm really excited because Out of the Park is it's an amazing game. If you're a baseball fan, sports nerd, it's a simulator. You don't play. You don't you have to be a video game savvy person mm-hmm. who gets on the controller. It's all computer-based sim. But it's amazing. It's the deepest game there is. If you like the idea of being a GM, running a team, which fantasy players do, (laughs) then you pretty much would love out of the park baseball. Yeah, it's cool to just be able to. I know you do. You've been doing a lot of stuff with out of the park for quite some time. So it's got to be a good feeling to actually be involved like directly or in an official capacity as well in the product that you're actually utilizing on a regular basis. Yeah, it's really fortunate to have that happen now for the second game i did it with them will be the show as well play them that game a bunch got to do some things with them so to have these two games my two favorite (laughs) video games both baseball related and be able to work with them in the capacity that i have has been really fortunate that's cool all right, we're going to talk a little bit about the free agent pitching landscape. We're going to start. We're going to stick with starters. We're not going to go into the reliever market. For more information on that, you guys can listen to In the Pen. I think that they got an episode coming out on Friday, and so they will talk strictly about the reliever market and relievers in general. So a lot of information to get through there. We're not going to take up any more of the time talking about that here. So first and foremost, Paul, you're. Like our own Nick Pollock and a couple other people, Justin Mason, a couple of other people do have some very early rankings. At least you have them for yourself, whether or not I haven't seen them published on Fangraphs yet, but I know that you talk about them on Sleeper and the Bust. You may make them available on the Sleeper and the Bust Patreon, if I'm not mistaken. But talk to me about how do you utilize the, sorry, how do you rank the free agent pitchers? in your rankings as far as what kind of variables you take into place are you putting them in a neutral ballpark when you're making these rankings are you just doing it straight on skill and then you make adjustments when they sign talk to me a little bit about your process there yeah so when guys are free agents i think the general rule of thumb for me is knock them down a little bit right you don't really know where they're going to go but 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too far with that, especially on the high end. I'm not moving Degrom and Verlander way down my list because I don't know where they're gonna go. There's not really anything that could happen that would really take me off of them or bring them way down. Neither of them are going to Colorado, I don't think. (laughs) Obviously, that's our biggest fear. And there are other hitter-friendly parks around the league, but nothing that, again, that's really going to move the needle. So with the upper end, I'm not changing too much, even with kind of the mid-tier. The guys who are more fringe, that if they sign somewhere friendly, you would really move them up. If they are in a hitter's park like Cincinnati or Colorado, you're running away from them. Those guys do get hit. Those are guys that maybe I'm not drafting in early drafts unless they are coming at a discount. And so I'm going to be a bit lower on some guys like that. You look at this, the tiers as you've broke, broken them down. That's Syndergaard, Quintana, Waka, Eflin, Smiley, etc. There's another five, six, seven guys there. That group is very dependent on where they land. In fact, a few guys in the tier above them are as well. And we need to know where Manaya, Taiwan Walker, Ross Stripling, guys like that are going. So going to be a little bit lower on those guys until they sign. And then as they get situated, we'll figure out where we're going to put them. But the upper tiers, not much is changing. DeGrom, Verlander, Rodon, nothing that they can do is going to, going to gravely negatively impact them as far as their rankings. Yeah, I would venture to guess, and we'll talk about this a little bit later when we get into specific players, but especially on that top tier, the only thing in my mind that can really sway is if they, and they end up signing, if Justin Verlander ends up going back, sorry, back to Detroit and you're chasing wins, maybe that kind of, that category takes a hit as opposed mm-hmm. to staying in Houston. But yet you're at the talent level of these guys. They're going to get the strikeouts. They're going to, their ratios are going to, unless they go to Cincinnati or Colorado or whatever yeah. like you said, which is not an option, not something that I'm really considering as well. Kevin, where, do you think that as these guys sign, what kind of impact do you think it has on their ADP as drafts continue to go? Are, do you have a feeling that some of these players are being underdrafted solely because of the unknown? And is it time to take advantage of that uh, of those in certain situations? Similarly to what Paul said about how he ranks them, I think that the higher end guys will have more overreaction and it shouldn't really matter. So I, I These are guys that I like to try to grab now if I'm interested in them. The later guys is where it gets really interesting because as Paul brought up, or you brought up actually, the wins, right? I say it all the time. We can't chase wins, but we have to. This is a subject that was brought up in Arizona by Rob Silver. And I think he, the way he phrased it was, we have to try. We've always said you can't chase wins, but now in today's formats and the way pitchers are used, we have to pay attention to this. And the better team, the better offensive lineup, the better defense behind the pitcher can really affect, especially the later guys, not as worried about it with the top tier guys as both you and Paul mentioned. Paul, you're making adjustments on the fly to your rankings. At least when you're talking to Justin Sleeper on the bus, you guys are talking back and forth and you both have made adjustments, at least verbally. Have you made adjustments based on the small amount of signings that we've already seen? So like Tyler Anderson moving from LA to LA. And I crossed this- him a few spots though. Yeah. I like him with the Dodgers. I think that's a situation where I don't think Tyler Anderson's going to forget everything that he learned and fall apart there. But between the two organizations, where do you want guys? You want guys with the Dodgers over the Angels. So that's going to cost them a few spots, I think. So yeah, small moves like that are certainly happening. And there's a simple fact, Justin and I talk about this phenomenon. You can be looking at your rankings and obviously no games are happening and you're still moving guys around. Yeah, right? <laughs> and some people will be like, what's happening? What are you moving them off of if there's no games? Listen, when I set, put out a rank of 150 pitchers <laughs> the way I did on October 11th, I didn't do 150 deep dives. I, I have no problem admitting that is just a stone cold truth. And that's pretty much always the case for people unless it's like their final ranking of the year. Or one of their one of their big offseason rankings where they have done all the deep dive. But right after the season there, I'm putting out my first list. I did go through a bunch of guys, but I haven't deep dived on everybody. So as you're going through and you're reviewing things and looking up different guys, you're moving stuff around all the time. So moves are impacting it, but also gaining more knowledge about the season that just happened are moving guys as well. That's the way I see things 
when I'm looking at at the pitcher rankings right now. So it's not just the moves, but it's also, hey, I finally got time to really dive into Tyler Wells and I like him more. So he's up five or I don't like him as much. So he's down eight. Obviously, that's a, just a random example. I have not moved Tyler Wells <laughs> based on anything yet for those Tyler Wells fans. I will cross that on my notes that I'm making yeah. here. That, 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 don't that. worry. <laughs> Tyler Wells has been unmoved right now. <laughs> for good or bad. That's easy right now. Yeah. <laughs> I always find it interesting too. I, and then we talk about this a lot last year with Clayton Kershaw, where Kevin, I think you and I basically said, like, I'm interested in Clayton Kershaw if the Dodgers re-sign him. If he goes anywhere else, I heard other people say that. I'm not. And he re-signed again with the Dodgers as well. Martin Perez, he, he took... The qualifying offer, yeah. only one of two, him and Jack Peterson, the only qualifying offers to be accepted this year. Do, and we'll, let, we'll use this as a segue into talking about specific players. And we're going we're gonna to go into kind of what I, I tiered out all the free agents that are being drafted in the draft champions. And I want to clarify this again, very specifically, the ADPs that I put up on, on these tiers are only draft champions. And I think it's really important for anybody out there that's looking at ADP on the NFBC system to filter your ADP because there are a lot of different drafts that are happening right now. There are best balls. I don't think have any completed yet, but they are active. There are cut lines in this new Gladiator League that's out. Gladiator. They are screwing ADP left, right, and sideways. And so we want to make sure that we're only looking at ADP that's indicative of the type of draft that you are taking. The tiers are basically based on ADP. I've got your ace tier. I'm just going, I'm taking the low hanging fruit here, naming them just, this is just a poker reference. So you've got your ace tier of Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon. They're all going within the top 25 of starting pitchers. And I did filter out manually <laughs> i know uh, I take out the relievers the relievers so, so degrom the ninth starter verlander's the 14th starter and rodon is the 15th starter off the board my question though is and you guys both touched on this that these guys location doesn't really matter unless you're maybe you're chasing wins here but do you think paul i'm gonna start with you does a contract matter? I, mean, I talked about this with Martin Perez. He, he took the qualifying offer. We were happy that Kershaw re-signed with the Dodgers and not tried to go another team. Does the type of contract for these guys matter as far as if they get a short-term deal with a lot of money because the teams aren't willing to keep them long-term for whether it's health reasons, age reasons, whatever, or if they take a long-term deal with more guaranteed money, how do you look at that, Paul, as far as when they make that contract signing? What does yeah. that do for your rankings? There's certainly aspects of that can play a role. In fact, with a guy who's on the free agent market this year, we saw that impact play out with Carlos Rodon. When the White Sox moved on from him, there was a distinct downturn in his value in the market. Again, I'm a sicko. I do drafts all year <laughs> round. So I'm following that early market right out of the regular season there. And Rodon's going at a bit of a discount relative to how good he was. Remember, he had an ace turn in 2021 as well. And they're thinking, uh-oh, if the White Sox can't trust him, then maybe we shouldn't be trusting him. He was moving down the board a little bit. Nothing too significant. I'm not saying he was like cheap. He was just cheaper. Then San Francisco of all teams signs him. And they basically, they, they the deal they gave him was a co-sign on his health, according to a lot of people. They felt comfortable. Okay, they're going to give him 21 and a half mil. And I believe he had a, an option for this year that he opted out of. He opted out this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was a two-year deal. There's a two-year commitment on San Francisco's end if Rodon wanted to be part of it. First year was 22 mil. That gave people a lot of confidence and Rodon moved back up there are things like that in a in signings that can happen that will have an impact you got a super injured guy that gets a three four year deal maybe okay that is at least a little bit again you're not moving Rodon from say 25 to four in your starting rankings based off of that but if you like him and you're like okay I like him but I'm nervous about the health again I don't think we should be going any more than normal we shouldn't be worried about Rodon's health he just had a healthy full season he's got standard risk if he signed like a one year, though, I wonder if that would raise the antenna again. Wait a minute. He did have this healthy, full, excellent season. It's back to back great seasons, and he only got a one year this time. Maybe that would give people some pause. Or he gets a four year deal. Someone really buys in on Rodon. 
that might add some confidence there. These are moves on the margins, but all this sort of stuff plays a role. For me with Rodon, I'm actually really high on him, and I'm not into necessarily, in my opinion, overvaluing pitcher injury risk. The point is that everyone has injury risk. It's not that Carlos Rodon doesn't have injury risk. He absolutely does, and he's been more injured in the past, which means there is a little bit extra. But instead of putting his risk up here and everyone else's down here, I'm closer to where they're not that far apart. Obviously, folks can't see the video, but I'm moving my hands. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) There's a big split to a minor split. Every pitcher is one pitch away. The idea of a healthy starting pitcher is a myth. It's just a myth. So sure. There will be certain outliers that we look back and like, that guy was a workhorse. But you're only a workhorse until you're not. I know that's a little trite and cliche, but it's the truth. Go back and look at guys when they, like Lance Lynn. He was workhorse as can be with St. Louis. Then he got hurt, missed 2018, came back. He's been pretty workhorse-esque for a little while there. But now these last two years, and he is in his mid-30s, so I'm not roasting. I'm just saying players the pitchers evolve with how much of a workhorse they are put everyone's talent or injury risk at a pretty similarly high level i would not make grave moves based on injury risk yeah the other variable with these guys as well especially two out of these three agram and rodon both got the qualifying offer both declined it obviously for me for to see them decline the qualifying offer i think it's like 19.5 19.7 yeah, million dollars to almost 20 million it, that gives me more confidence in them as well them knowing hey i'm in a good place i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and test the market because i'm pretty sure i can get something either longer or for more money mm-hmm. which means I've got a little bit more trust in them at the moment as well. I wonder how that how that t- the draft pick is going to hang around Ivaldi's neck. I, I'm an Ivaldi guy. Been rooting for this guy since he was a Dodger, and he's he's a great one to talk about with the injury risk. Yes, there's heightened risk for him again relative to normal, but I, th- I do think it can be outsized for people like, oh, I'm putting him 12, 15 rankings down because of his in- injury risk. But then there's this healthy guy over here, quote unquote, mm-hmm. who I'm going to rank higher. That's the kind of difference I'm trying to mitigate. But I do worry. I'm surprised he didn't take it, to be honest. Given his health track record, I thought Eovaldi had a good shot to take the 20 mil at 19.7, like you said, at age 33. Looks like he's trying to get his last multi year. I don't blame him, but. I hope he has knowledge that it's out there somewhere. Tyler Anderson, when he declined it, I would have said, oh my God, that was so stupid. But the news of him signing with the Angels came out right, right away had, that yep. we didn't have time to react to that. And he, so he knew he had a multi in hand. That's the only way Tyler Anderson declines that qualifying offer is if he has <laughs> a multi in hand that is pretty good value. And it was. The Angels paid him pretty nicely for what he did. There is also the fact that like Eovaldi, could last out there a little bit because of that draft pick and his long-term health track record. And again, I know I'm sitting here saying, be care- be careful overrating track health record, but teams are going to look at that and they're going to be like, you cost us a draft pick and you might only pitch 80 innings. I don't know. So I'm eager to see what happens with the Evaldi. I don't know if he's going to get what he wants there. The Angels are the one team that don't seem to care about losing the draft pick as they, after they signed Syndergaard on the QO, Tyler Anderson. Who knows? He, the Angels maybe, could maybe be the team the that signed the Evaldi. Yeah, because the picks start to go down, yeah, right? Go down. The more you sign. So if he only costs them like a fifth rounder or something, then maybe there is something to that where it makes sense for them to stack because they're having a pretty aggressive offseason so far. And I, I consider myself, and I think everyone who isn't whose team isn't in direct competition with them, if you're a fan of an AL West team, you don't have to like the Angels. But if you're a fan <laughs> of any other team, any other division, you should also be a bit of an Angels fan because you should want Trout and Otani in You October. just want what's best for baseball. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you should – I got my finger on the pulse of the Angels. I'm a Tigers fan through and through, but I'm always looking at what the Angels are doing because I want those guys in October so badly. So it might get to a point where them signing Ivaldi does make more sense because it's not going to cost them as much. And they can always use pitching. And it, even at 110 innings, he could be helpful to them. So that's a good that's a good call out there. Some teams don't care, and they will just take on multiples to lower the draft pick. I, what's the new stat? I think Jared Kellenick has more hits in the postseason than Mike Trout does now. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> All so- right, let's split the difference. Paul jumped over to Nathan Eovaldi, who was in the, the Queen 
tier. Kevin, in the, the solo pitcher in what I call the king tier, p- pitchers that are going between the 25th and 49th starting pitcher off the board is Chris Bassett. He also got the qualifying offer, declined it. He's going at ADP 160, the 46th starting pitcher off the board. We talk about with the ace tier, it doesn't really matter where they go. I feel like we got, we're starting to already get to the point with Bassett. It might matter where he goes. Where are you afraid he will sign? And is it enough fear to keep you is it a logical enough place that it keeps you from signing, drafting him, or have you drafted him already? I have not drafted him yet. I'm not opposed to it. I, he's almost with the, as you mentioned, he's almost with that ace tier. It's just getting close. I, I think the qualifying offer here might help in this situation. I don't know that a team that's not going to be in contention will give up that draft pick. And he's, He was great in Oakland, good then with the Mets as well. I kind putting him, adding him to that ace tier, of course, being below them slightly, but I kind of read it the same way. Of course, he's not going to Colorado. Free agent pitchers don't sign in Colorado. <laughs> Not at this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cincinnati, of course, would give us a little bit of concern, but we've seen some guys put up nice numbers in Cincinnati mm-hmm. in recent years. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to bother me too much where he goes. Defense would probably matter a little more to me than ballpark in this situation, but he's – He's leaving the Mets, so it's, their defense got better. But for a couple of years, that that was a, the the knock on them. Especially, we heard about that a lot when Stroman first went there. Yeah, don't think I'm too worried about it with Bassett. With this qualifying offer, and we're coming back to this a lot, I do wonder, especially with Bassett and Evaldi specifically. We touched on this a little earlier, but do you think? Um, Paul, do you think that this actually forces teams to look if they're going to sign a guy like Eovaldi or Bassett and they're going to lose a draft pick and you're not the Angels, does it give them more of a uh, opportunity to sign them to a longer term deal? Because if you're yeah. losing a draft pick, you want to make sure you're getting a long term commitment. No doubt. You're not trying to do a one year on somebody like that. Yeah, I think teams do factor that in. It's like it costs us a draft pick for only one year of this guy. I don't think we want to do that. We want to go two or three. And I think Bassett's at an elevated age too. I believe he's what going into his age 33 season, but he's been good for a while now. If you have not had Chris Bassett on your fantasy team, or you're not super involved with following his stats, go look at his page. Since coming back from injury in 2017, he didn't throw much in 2018, but it was a good 47 and two thirds. But from 18 on, Bassett's been an absolute stud. 329 ERA, 114 whip in 593 and two-thirds innings over that time. So he's going into his age 34 season a little bit elevated, but I think he could get a three-year deal uh, because of how great he's been and the draft pick being tied to him. He looks like he's somebody who can... He withstood the rigors of 30 starts this past year, 27 the year before that. Remember, he got hit in the face in 21 Uh, by a comebacker so he probably would have had back-to-back 30 plus start seasons without that unfortunate accident of course 2020 he didn't have a chance to throw a quote-unquote full season and then he made 28 appearances in 2019 25 starts so he hasn't been like a workhorse but he's gotten through three full seasons pretty well as a quality pitcher I think the performance and the draft pick three-year deal could come for Chris Bassett and I wouldn't be that surprised he's very good I think a team will trust him all right, let's move. I'm going to fill out the rest of this queen tier after Nathan Eovaldi comes, who is going at as the 68th starting pitcher off the board. We got Andrew Heaney, Jameson Tyon, Kodai Senga, Taiwan Walker, Mike Clevenger, Sean Manaya, and Ross Stripling at going as the 98th starting pitcher off the board. I took some liberties from this point on who was a starter and who was a re- reliever. Don't hold me to these specifically. But uh, Kevin, let's start with Senga first then. Is there a team that we talked about him and the rest of the guys coming over from Japan a couple episodes ago, but is there a team that you're hoping signs him to in his first year to get the most out of him? Kansas City Royals. No, just <laughs> That's not going to happen. No, I know we've heard about talk Boston, Seattle, San Diego. Any of these spots would be great for me. The thing about Singa is once he signs and then the overreaction is really going to begin. And I really think it, it will be a spot we like. He's a 100% free agent as far as this goes. 
So he can pick where he wants to go, anywhere he wants to go. We'll be interested in signing him. It'll just be a matter of working out the money. So if you believe that Singa is going to perform as the 79th starting pitcher in fantasy baseball or better, you probably need to grab him right now. His ADP is going to go up regardless of where he signs, which is, makes this kind of interesting. I don't think it matters and because it will be a good team with a good lineup. So, yeah, Singa, somebody that if you're interested, now's the time to grab him, I believe. Yeah, that's probably fair with all these guys. Once they sign, you see it all the time. And the, anybody coming over from Japan or Korea, as soon as they sign, that's when it goes up. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago as well. The other guy I wanted to focus on here is Mike Clevenger. Paul, he didn't look good ultimately no. in 2022. He turns 32 next month. Can he is he in a situation where he can still afford to take a one year prove it offer from somebody and then that try to get that long term? Yeah, I'm not. I don't know that he's going to get much more than that at this point because talk about health and he simply hasn't had it since his 2018 full season through 21 starts the next year in 2019 and that's been a max since then 20 of course didn't have a chance 21 didn't pitch at all and this year 114 innings in 22 starts and one relief appearance for Clevenger with pretty underwhelming performance and at times looking really bad so I'm not sure that he's going to get a multi-year deal at age 32. I think he might only get the one-year prove-its and he might try to find the best team that he can do that with and hopefully reestablish himself. But the injuries are piling up with him. And so, again, I want to go back to that point I was making earlier about injury risk. I don't ignore somebody like his injury risk and just say, no, he has the same as everyone. And that's not my point earlier, by the way, too. I want to be clear. I'm not saying everyone has the exact same injury risk. But overstating his injury risk compared to a healthy guy is where I would jump in. He does have an elevated risk though. You want to be careful with Clevenger because his health continues to fail him. I don't know a, a one-year make right somewhere, but what, who's going to do that? Well, which of the top is a top team going to do that? Or is he going to get stuck somewhere like Cincinnati or like a lesser team where the winds are going to be compromised? And then if it were Cincinnati, the park would be a, a problem as well. I don't know. I have no real interest in Clevenger. That's my biggest fear. If he's going to get that one-year deal, prove it offer, it's going to be with a Pittsburgh or a team that has the spare parts or the spare space to give him that opportunity to do that. And then maybe he becomes a trade piece in July as well. So obviously, as we talk about chasing wins, that in that situation, even if he goes long enough into games to qualify for a win, those are probably going to be far and few between. I think that wherever he goes, if he goes to a team that has just a mediocre to less than average bullpen, you can put that to the put those wins as a bonus. Anytime he gets one, it's probably going to be a bonus based on where he's going to go. All right, we got a pretty big tier after this, the Jack tier. These are starting pitchers that are currently going 100 through 200 off the board. We have the aforementioned Noah Syndergaard, Jose Quintana, Michael Waka, Zach Eflin, Drew Smiley, Corey Kluber. Michael Lorenzen, Johnny Cueto, Matthew Boyd, Jordan Lyles, Kyle Gibson, Wade Miley. Paul, I'm going to start here. First, are any of these guys actually in a most, or which of these guys in a most positive or negative direction are, have a bigger differential from your rankings to where they're going on these ADP list? Man, I like a couple of these guys. You can talk about the whole Jack tier, right? Kluber, you talk about health with him. I think he's still shown that he can be good. The problem with him, so with Kluber, I, I like him, but he's always had a bad fastball. Remember, even at his peak, his fastball wasn't particularly good. And now I think that margin for error is even thinner. And so when he's off, he's really off. So he had a lot of good starts this year. By the way, he took 31 turns at age 36. Problem is, the bad starts are really bad. He had four starts of five-plus earned runs, including an eight and a seven. And so he ended up with a, a mid-four ZRA. And that's a problem with the, an older guy like this who can have flashes. He's probably best used as a streamer, but he can get you when you least expect it. You know who I'm really intrigued by is Eflin. He turned down... What he turned down? Did he qualifying offer or was he offered something else? He turned down. Or no, he had an option. An option. Yeah, he had an option that he turned down, which I thought wasn't it like fifteen mil. It wasn't. I thought it was like a dual option as well. It's one of those very. It, it rare was. Cases. Yeah, it was a dual option, mutual. That's right. And he turned down his end of it, which kind of surprised me because he ended the season relieving. Is he going to go back to starting? I thought maybe he'd found something here in the bullpen, but I guess if he's going to try to go back to starting, maybe that fifteen mil isn't as appealing. 
I'm intrigued by him. He's got good stuff. I think if he goes to a team that you know is good at maybe extracting a little bit extra out of their pitchers, I could be intrigued by a Zach Eflin. You have a lot of interesting guys here whose health has been a problem for them and that when they're healthy, they are pretty good. Drew Smiley, the aforementioned Kluber, Michael Waka. He's always got that great changeup. We saw a good season out of Johnny Cueto. Nobody's really paying for that, by the way, which is so if you liked it and you believe in the season, you can buy back in on him. Michael Lorenzen's a guy I keep being a sucker for. I just want some health for him. Quintana and Cueto were probably two of the biggest returns to prominence from a couple guys. I think both of them could be pretty good again this year, and neither of them are particularly expensive either. Thor, I've been a Thor fan in the past, but <laughs> he doesn't even deserve the nickname anymore because he does not have Thor's hammer. My man. <laughs> he is not worthy. No. He cannot strike any of the three of us out. So pretty out on him, and I think I don't have him higher. I don't have him lower than the 107th starter because you were asking me in comparison to my rankings, but I'm very disinterested in Thor at this point. And so this is a departure from previous years where I've been a big Thor backer. I just think it's I just think it's kind of over with Thor as a premier pitcher in the league. So I have a 98th and you say he's going off 107. So I'm a little bit higher than the market, I guess, but I see myself skipping him in drafts. So I think I might have to lower him if that's the case. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point to make. Basically, if you're looking at pitcher rankings, whether they're Pauls or Knicks or anybody's, just because a guy is ranked at a certain point doesn't mean you're taking him. At that point, you have to really consider who you've already taken, what roster you've already built and what roster you think you can continue to build later on. So just because somebody is there or if you're up 10 spots on him compared to where he's going in ADP doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take him there. Kevin, is there anybody on this list that you're, you're willing to take above their current ADP, whether it's the starting pitcher ADP or just the overall? Jose Quintana sticks out to me here. This entire group is where the team context really comes into play for me. These are guys that, depending on the team, how deep are they going to be allowed to pitch into games, right? I don't want to see one of these guys sign in Minnesota that, that seems to have embraced Five and nine. No, yep. no third time through the order type thing. I know the Marlins don't need any starting pitching, but that would be a great landing spot, that type of team. San Francisco, I would like to see. As, as much as they are into the analytics, it seems that their starting pitchers are allowed to go five or six innings. So that's what I'm watching here. But this is the range of pitchers that in Fab League drafts, drafting right now, load up on these guys. You can change them out before the season even starts if need be. That's a good point, especially if you are doing, if you're like us and you've done Fab Leagues already in November, which seems you know, like crazy person talk, as Paul mentioned, just drafting in general all season long, but do Fab Leagues as well. And then you can make some more of these risky picks and not worry about it so much come come March or April. All right, we're going to, I'm going to miss these two last tiers, the Joker tier, and then the how to play poker card tier. These guys have not been drafted <laughs> at all. So you've got First group, they've been drafted, but they have not been drafted in all 24 of the draft champions that have completed so far. We have Zach Greinke, Dylan Bundy, Rich Hill, Zach Davies, Trevor Williams, Michael Pineda, Danny Duffy, Chris Archer, Vince Velasquez, and Drew Hutchinson have each been drafted one time by one lucky drafter. And then you still have Mike Miner, Kohei Arihara, Chichi Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, Aaron Sanchez and Annabelle Sanchez, Joe Ross, Chad Gould are technically all free agents. They have not signed yet and they have also not been drafted yet, probably for good reason. But most of these guys, especially in the the Joker tier who have been drafted, they, they've actually done more harm than good for fancy rosters, at least in 2022. It does show with the inconsistent drafting so far in these 50 rounders. Assuming that all sign, they all sign, every single one of them sign in a very favorable situation. Paul, which two of these do you have the most confidence they can actually bounce back and be beneficial to even in a draft and hold? I'll take Danny Duffy. Again, if we're going to make believe world of hell, <laughs> I still like the talent. So give me Danny Duffy. And Chris Archer was really just a four inning guy last year. I'm not sure that he's going to expand beyond that. God, this is a rough list. I guess Granky's innings. Granky was pretty good this year, right? Like, 
all things considered, all th- again, <laughs> you talk about a guy who couldn't strike us out here on the call, but 368 ERA, one, 134 whip is still pretty bad, but yeah, decent but enough ERA. But you're making me pick two, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Duffy and Granky, former teammates. There, one guy who could get a bunch of strikeouts if everything's going well, and another guy who might just eat up some innings. Smash them together, and they could be decent on a deep format. Yeah. Duffy's the one I'd be worried about finding his way back into a bullpen. Absolutely. Or we always wish it. I feel like it never happens. But if they can find a position, they can go to a team that is willing to give them an opener, and then they can go the four innings after that. Great. Ideal. I mean, um, two, pick two of these guys. Let Vince Velasquez and Danny Duffy be six innings combined. Like a partner, three sure. Apiece, righty and a lefty. Velasquez is a guy I fell for years. <laughs> just like with his arm talent thinking, oh my God, he could become something. And he had some flashes early, like back in 16, 17 with Philly. But it's never come together. But yeah, I, I think I could see both of them being shortened especially Duffy I I could see a bullpen roll or like a two to three inning roll that might serve him best but obviously it wouldn't be best for fantasy sure Kevin is there anybody on this list that you can see from here on out the rest of the way actually being drafted 100% like I said these guys have all not been drafted in the first all the first 24 but can you see any of them actually being drafted 100% let's just say they all sign right now uh, they're all signed in the u.s none of them are going to korea none of them are going to japan that's which is the other fear here with some of these guys which one do you think could be drafted 100 percent the rest of the way Ooh, uh i guess i gotta <laughs> cheat and, right because i i gotta cheat and go with the guys that have been drifted in, in the highest percentage of leagues here I think grinky will be left out in some leagues just because of the lack of strikeouts i think it's probably bundy but I think it's Bundy because if, if he does go to a team and we do find out he's going to be in a bullpen, that may even raise his perceptive value a little bit. Maybe that's what we want to see. And depending on the team and what their bullpen looks like, we may start seeing some predictions that he could move into a closer role. So I would go with him because he's been the most drafted so far. Yeah, I Chris Archer at one out of 24, he's not going to be 100% drafted the rest of the way, but he's the one I'm most interested in. How much of that four inning and out was him? How much of it was Minnesota that we just mentioned earlier? That's fair. He probably wanted to keep going, but they wouldn't let him. And when healthy, he's good. And he got shut down in mid-September with a tight pectoral. Hopefully that's all cleared up and we can see what he's doing in spring training wherever he lands. But he's the one I'm most interested in keeping an eye on. But Bundy probably will be drafted the most the rest of the way, I would think. Alex Fast talked about this on On the Corner, so I'm not really spoiling anything from first pitch. But he did a presentation at first pitch. I wasn't there, but I heard enough about it, about consistent pitchers. And the Mm -hmm. most consistent pitcher in baseball last year was Chris Archer. He was consistently the worst pitcher in baseball from that time. So that's something to be said is there as well, whether that was Minnesota or if it was just Archer being naturally bad, at least in 2022. He'd have to find a a really, really good spot to bring him back along to where he once was as a prospect, really. Is there anybody here, Paul, this would be the last question here. Is there anybody in these two last two tiers that you're the most afraid doesn't I know I drafted at least two guys last year that did not play an inning, whether it was Kyle Seeger in early drafts before he retired or DJ Peters before he he went overseas. So I got that zero. Is there anybody here that you're most you think has the best shot of not pitching a single pitch in the major leagues and you're you just be avoiding for that fear alone? Among guys that I'd actually draft, Joey Arihara could go back over either Sanchez could retire but amongst guys that I might actually throw a dart on in the 40 round for, 40s rounds is Chad cool like I could see him maybe getting an offer from overseas and he figures it out there because like he's shown some flashes in the majors with Pittsburgh and even with Colorado earlier this year but Colorado as it always does the park eventually gets you I could see like taking him in the 47th round and then boom, he signs in the, in the KBO to a three-year deal or something and tries to figure himself out there. Cause he might be a guy that would benefit from going over there, figuring some things out and then coming back. Cause we've seen that with guys that come back different and better. Miles Michaelis, one, Martinez, one of the more sure. recent ones, Nick Martinez, Colby Lewis going way back and several others too. But 
Chad Cool, among the ones I would actually even consider, because most of that group I wouldn't really consider, but I could see taking Cool and then finding out that he's going overseas to to be better there. Because if you're a mediocre major leaguer or a little bit below, you can be a star overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge in Japan. That's the longstanding phrase. That's the Uncle Jesse in all of us. And so, Kevin, is there anybody else on this list that you'd be afraid of either signing overseas or in Granky's case, he says he's not retiring, just retiring? It's not official yet, but I think Granky will come back as a Royal. I don't think he's going to retire. Joe Ross, uh, he didn't have his Tommy John surgery till the end of May, and he's battled injuries prior in his career. So I, it'll be a while before we see him, I think, if we see him at all in 2022. Yeah, that's all probably fair to fear pretty much everybody in these last two tiers. As Kevin and I have talked about, like more than likely more interested in taking some high-end relievers or multi-inning relievers in this in the last 10 rounds of a draft is if I'm looking for more pitching depth than a lot of these guys on this list. But it's still going to be interesting to see where they end up signing and if the their new teams can actually get anything more out of them. There's always that perfect scenario where you, the guy comes out of nowhere just because they found the new pitching coach that has found something different that nobody else has found out of them. It's rare, but it happens. It can happen. Yeah, it can happen. All right, with all that in mind, all these free agents to consider as you're changing rankings, Kevin, is there any other words of wisdom that you can impart onto our listeners as they are considering these these guys throughout the course of their early drafts? I keep an eye on things. It, like Paul said, things are going to change, and it's not necessarily anything that happens. It's that all of us, including Paul, you, me, Nick, everybody, We're going to start taking deeper dives on players as things go along and we're going to notice things and make adjustments. Uh, And just like we talk with hitters, I caution people to don't just say I'm moving him up 10 spots, have a good reason, plug, plug numbers in and see how that does affect their auction calculator values and make your adjustments from there. Don't just assume a couple more wins is going to in- increase a pitcher's value by a certain amount. Check it out. See how it ends up. That's all fair points. That's going to do it for us today. Episode 88 of On The Wire. Paul, thank you, man, for taking the last second invite. I'm glad you could find the time and join us to talk about some of these free agent pitchers. Can you let it remind everybody if you got, I mean, you got, you took the week off from the, from Sleeper in the Bus. Is there anything else that you're working on after the break? Pod will be back. I'll have another set of SP rankings, I believe, out pretty soon. We're doing something with our group. So I said rankings were coming in November. That might be a December thing. I got to figure out exactly what we're coordinating with our group. But follow me at Fangraphs, fantasy.fangraphs.com, on Twitter at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, and on Twitch at Sporer. I'll be on during the holidays if you want to come hang out. Even if you never played out of the park baseball, just come hang out if you want to talk some baseball because we got plenty of non-video game fans in there that are just hanging out because we're talking baseball all the time. I mean, what can you ask? You can't ask for much more than that. You just any, find any place that you can that just all they want to do is talk about baseball and you'll be in a good spot. So join, make sure you're joining Paul over there on Twitch and everywhere else. That's going to do it for episode 88 of On The Wire. We'll be back every Sunday. Is Actually, this episode's going on Thursday, so I'm backtracking myself on that one. But make sure that you are subscribing to the podcast so you get them no matter when they come out you can follow myself on the twitter at 80 grade that's all spelled out kevin is at hasting kevin of course follow the pod itself at on the wire pod to once again thank our guest paul spore for joining us he should be followed on the twitter for now at spore and you can find a link to that if you're not actually already following him in our show description after all that i am adam howe and on behalf of kevin hasting thanks for listening we bid you goodbye